thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello everybody and welcome to the Football Digest Women's World Cup edition, the latest episode today and we are debriefing England's 1-0 victory over Haiti. Now we're 48 hours on and I'm not sure if everybody's digested it properly. Um, I think with all the games so far, it's a stark reminder that all the debutants in this tournament should not be underestimated. Normally, we're joined by our chief writer, Jack, who is out in Australia. We're giving him a well-earned rest today. Um, so I am joined by Bess and Megan. Hi, Bess. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Laura. It's obviously been it. As you say, 48 hours to digest everything that, that went on against Haiti, hasn't it? And it was a, it was, even though it was only 1-0, there was, there was plenty of talking points. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get into all of that. And Megan, hello, making your Women's One Cup Digest debut today. How are you? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I hope I fare better than Morocco, but yeah, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they... Uh, at the time of recording, and we're out live at the moment, it's 11am and yeah, Morocco uh, having a valiant effort at trying to take on Germany, but um, it's not quite going their way at the minute. Um, so today's episode, obviously we are debriefing and taking a look at post-match England, um, who narrowly got a victory over Haiti. And I think if it wasn't for Marriott, we could be having a very different conversation right now. Um, England have landed in Sydney. So obviously our first game against Haiti was played in Brisbane. Um, they have now landed in Sydney. And one thing that I enjoyed very most is um, the pictures that the England team have released is Lauren Hemp creating a Vespa in Lego. I'm all here for it. And she, she was carrying it with her pride and joy. Um, Beth, do you want to take us through um, where they're based in Sydney at the moment? They're actually just outside a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, so they're, they're just outside of Sydney at the moment. Um, and this is going to be the base, obviously, while that they're in Sydney. And, and obviously, we, we don't know if they're going to get through to the round of 16. We hope very much that they will and progress further than that. But once they get into those knockout stages, um, they're, they're only really going to be in either Brisbane or Sydney. So Sydney makes, just being outside of Sydney makes sense. You know, it's a um, obviously only a short bus journey then into Sydney itself. And then if you, they're going on to Brisbane, it's not too long a flight. So um, I'll just make sure I've got the name of the hotel right that they're staying at. So it's the the Crown Plaza Terragol Pacific Hotel. So it's a 15-minute drive um, from the Central Coast Stadium, which is where the, the training base is going to be for the duration of the time in Sydney. Um, the stadium was used um, during the, the Rugby World Cup, the 2003 Rugby World Cup, um, three group stage matches there. Um, and it's described as the ultimate, be- ultimate deluxe beach accommodation. Um, with more than a hundred rooms, an outdoor pool, panoramic views of the sea. So, as you can imagine, it's it's a gorgeous place. And um, you know, we we had some photos sent over by the hotel, and it looks absolutely stunning place for them to be. And you know, I think um, one thing when you in in sort of elite level sports, it's about controlling the controllables, isn't it? And those variables that you can control off the pitch. You know, all of those little things gathered together. Um, you know, really boost performance on the pitch as well. So that they're staying in a, you know, really gorgeous environment, it looks like. And and yeah, that will be their base while they're in Sydney. Um and they'll be, be ramping up their preparations for, for Denmark on Friday. 
I mean, but we'll go on to to the performance now from Haiti. Um, I mean, just back on the um, the subject of where they're staying. I don't know about you, but I would love to be there right now. Um, so, Megan, the performance against Haiti, Jack described it as sloppy. Um, there was a lot of repeats of that word from across the press pack. It seemed. Would you agree that what what did you think of the performance on Saturday? Disjointed was the word that I used. If I was being a little polite, I guess. Yeah, if I was if I wasn't going to be so polite, sloppy would probably be the one. But I think everyone sort of needs to take slightly like a step back, and you know, journalists are supposed to make big, grand, sweeping statements after games. Like we have ninety minutes to do it, and that's our job. But also, this is the opener of a World Cup and a World Cup that's been built to be the most competitive, not just at the top, but like throughout the World Cup. So you've seen loads of really big teams not giving like smaller minnows a 13 nil thrashing in the opening game. And rather than teams like rather than journalists and fans being scared about that, that's actually a really good thing because it's showing that the competitive nature is changing and like evolving across the spectrum and across the gamut. Um, but as far as England are concerned, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Like it wasn't a very good um, performance. I thought Millie Bright really struggled, um, which was expected. You know, she hasn't played competitively in a few months, and I think that's something that this group stage you're going to see a lot of teams kind of progressing and evolving really fast, like kind of at breakneck speed in real time. But a few of the things that England struggled with, the things that they've struggled with for the past couple of months, like you just have to go back to that original Australia game when they lost. Australia kind of put a blueprint out for the rest of the world to be like, this is how you beat England. And England haven't really found a way of like combating that blueprint, if you if you know what I mean. So I think that's where they really need to start figuring out. And like, obviously the loss of Leah Williamson is huge because where Kira Walsh is marked out, Leah Williamson would step in the midfield and sort of be that creative playmaker. You don't have that. And I love Jess Carter. I thought she played phenomenally, but that's not her, that's not her thing. Like that's not what she does. So Yeah. I've like covered a load of topics there in like a very short amount of time. So I'll go back. But yeah, altogether, it was sloppy. The passing wasn't wasn't sharp, but it's also what you expect in an open over World Cup. And I think there needs to be a little bit of patience. I completely agree. And I think we need to actually rewind a year and look at the Euros. This is exactly how the Euros started for us and look how it ended. You know, we were we were crowned European champions and obviously with we we played against Germany in the final and they're obviously I know that they're, they're playing Morocco, but Morocco have made a brilliant, you know, effort to just stop that, you know, 13-0 thrashing that we might have seen beforehand. And I think we do really have to praise England because they are missing Leah. They're missing Beth Mead. They're missing Frank Kirby. And I think actually that showed and there were there was a, a part in the game when we just did not we looked as far from ourselves as we could have done. And there was a there was a point where I think Millie Bright was on the ball and thought she'd lost it out. And it didn't even go out, but she just they just kind of gave up and I can't remember who it was, but just absolutely screamed at them to get back on the ball. And it's it's things like that. We just need to be sharp. We need to be on it and we need to just be paying attention at all times. Um, there's a few things to dissect. Um, Megan, as you brought it up, I'm going to go with Jess Carter. I'm going to lead on that. Because um, as you say, that's not normally 
what she's used to and, and the position that she's playing. And there was a lot of talk between where Greenwood and Carter would play beforehand. How do you think that back line should actually go? How, how do you think Serena should start with that back line on Friday? Megan, I'll start with you. Anything that I say, Serena's going to do the exact opposite. So like that's the caveat I'll start with. To be honest, I thought Jess played really well. I think that slander towards Jess is a little bit unfair. She had one of the best pass percentages of any player playing 90 minutes. She had over 100 more passes and had a 96% like pass completion rate. Obviously, stats can be skewed. So, you know, like take as much of that as you want. But I thought she actually played really well. There was at one point she got turned into like soup by Demarne. Like, I mean, just bullets past her. But she recovered extremely, extremely well. And like, this is her first World Cup. Like this, that's her debut. And she's playing really well alongside Bright. They've got a bit of chemistry from playing at Chelsea together. I thought Jess Carter actually did really, really well. Asking her to play the Leah Williamson role is completely unfair. So I don't think I take Jess Carter out. I thought she played really well. I think Millie Bright, you're going to see her get better at her passing and her ability to sort of be more of a playmaker. Um, for me, like Lucy Bronze, when she got forward, she offered a lot. She kind of stepped in the midfield and she'd be a, a really good playmaker and like more creator. But she got caught out a lot, which was something that happened at the Euros last summer. So I don't, I don't know what Serena's going to do there. Like, do you bring in... I don't know if you bring in Greenwood and you make her a center back, but Serena doesn't usually change her starting lineup. So Beth, I'm not sure. You go for this. You try to be Serena. Yeah, I mean, trying to be Serena Beekman is. I'm not sure anyone can live up to live up to that standard. But um, yeah, it's it's difficult. And for me, the the biggest issue, the biggest concern that I had about this England side going into this tournament. I know obviously there's been a lot of talk about them being a little bit blunt up front, but I I think the, the defense is my worry. Um, you know, I think they were exposed by Haiti. They, they absolutely were. And it wasn't just because of, of the back line. I think all over the pitch, you know, you know, you, you need to defend from the front. We saw Alessio Russo do that a couple of times, which was great. But I think there was also other moments where, you know, Lauren James, for example, when she came on, maybe didn't track back as much as she, you know, perhaps should have done. And maybe that's the reason why she started on the bench. And, you know, the midfield, I don't think was was quite clicking. So it's it's all, it's a team effort, isn't it? Defending, it really is. But um, the, the back line is my concern because I think they, they struggled against Haiti, who, to be fair, you know, played a phenomenal effort and deserve enormous credit. And I think they they will actually, you know, get something out of one of these group games. I really do. Um, but with the greatest of respect to them, they're not the USA. They're not Germany. They're not Australia. And my concern is when England face one of those teams, which hopefully they will when they get into the latter stages of the tournament, how will that back line cope? Um, and off Saturday showing, I'm not sure that they will. Um, you know, I agree with with Meg. Actually, I think Jess Carter, Carter did really, really well um, going into that game. I think she's the one out of the back line you'd probably be a bit more concerned about. Um, but I thought she kept it simple, as you said. Meg recovered really well when she did get did get beat. So I I thought Jess Carter did well. Um, however, it's a very different proposition playing alongside Millie Bright when she's at her very best. And playing alongside Millie Bright as she is now. And Millie Bright was far from at her best on on Saturday. I mean, I, I wrote a piece about it yesterday. I was trying to sort of encapsulate what Millie Bright's performance was like. And it was like, well, she looked like a player who hasn't played for four months because she hasn't. She's obviously been out since early March. Um, and it's a huge ask to to ask a player to, even a player as talented as Millie Bright, to get back up to speed um, at a World Cup. 
at the most competitive World Cup that, that we've ever seen. Um, so I don't really know what the answer is. I don't think England have the defensive depth to be able to find a solution that will, I, I, I'm not sure. I really don't know. I think it's 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 such a difficult one. And and as soon as Lee Williamson got injured, you know, this was my this was my worry because, you know, she's an exceptional defender, but she's also got incredible versatility. You know, she can step into midfield. Her leadership on and off the pitch, she just has an aura about her that I just think is is almost impossible to replace. And I think, you know, I would be most confident having Alex Greenwood partner in Millie Bright but then again it leaves a gap at, at left back and I don't know who you put there you've not really got a, a natural left back that that Winky would step into that role so um, it's such a difficult one and that is my biggest worry about England going forward is, is can that back line really sort of gel and, and form a formidable partnership and I think we have to remember just um, sticking with Millie Bright is that despite the fact that she has been in training in the England camp she has been training on her own for the most part before they even flew out to Australia. So she only joined group training very, very shortly before they 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 left for, for Oz. So I think we have to remember that while she's been training and she's been in rehab and, you know, we're at the point where she she's getting back to full fitness, it's then gelling back into the team and gelling back into the team as captain and the leader. And that's something that we we very much have seen from Leah and is hard to replace. So I think Friday's match will be very telling. Um, but with Haiti, let's just, let's skirt back to them a moment because they deserve so much recognition. I mean, they were running all over us for, for some of that match. And Megan, I just want to go back to you on, I, th- I have a feeling that both of you will come up with the same name, um, but who stuck out for you for Haiti? The one that Emma Hayes probably thinks she should have got to Chelsea instead of Leon. Uh, 19-year-old Melchie. I mean, she was just phenomenal. I loved every every part of her game. Uh, she was she was audacious. She was confident. She was smart. She was quick. She was incisive. And she was savvy. Like uh, her entire, the way she played was, was phenomenal. And you can tell that like at 19 years old, she's got such a, a phenomenal career ahead of her. Um, Leon are, are very lucky to have her in their side. And I think Emma Hayes the whole time was thinking, crud, I've got to go up against her in the Champions League next year. This is going to be fun. But no, she she was great. And yeah, Beth, I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll mention her again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Haiti collectively were, were exceptional, but she was the standout performer, wasn't she? And you know, I think it's, it's worth mentioning Haiti. Obviously, it's their first World Cup and they're a nation that has known so much hardship over the past two decades. You know, natural disasters, political unrest, it's... Yeah, it can't be underestimated when a nation like that gets to to a major tournament like this. You know, the, there's been stories of people back home buying TVs just specifically to watch this tournament. They've got the weight of a nation quite literally on on their shoulders. And I think when you see a player like Melchie de Mornay, 19 years old, to have that sort of at the back of your mind and play with the freedom and the fearlessness that she did, um, she was just absolutely exceptional and, and, and a joy to watch. And I think teams like Katie. And we're seeing this across the board with a lot of these World Cup debutants. Is there isn't the pressure or the expectation on them? It's almost the shackles are off for them, really. Then aren't they? And they can just go and play their game and express themselves and play with freedom. And and that's absolutely what what Melchie de Mornay and, and Haiti did. I think as well, Carly Tate deserves some praise as well. The goalkeeper, like 
I know she was off her line for that save. It would have been a, a hell of a save, but obviously she was off her line. But she she had some brilliant saves in there too. And yeah, she's not playing at a top club. So I'm sure at 24 years old, someone is going to maybe look at that and think like, ooh, maybe we should keep an eye on her. But yeah, shout out to her as well. That leads me nicely into to the goalkeepers of the game who, I mean, let's face it, they saved. We'll start with Mary because I bow down to Mary like 110%. Um, I don't think there's anything other than she saved England from a bit of embarrassment, I think. And I say embarrassment with a complete compliment to Haiti because of the way that they played. But Mary Earps made some crucial, crucial saves that really saved us from the game. And Beth, I just kind of want to start with you on, do you think we could have seen a completely different scoreline if it, if it wasn't for Earps? Because that that's the stance that I've got at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think you know, it, it's sort of a, an old sort of adage, isn't it, that you're never going to win anything, whether it's a, a tournament or a competition or, you know, at domestic level, international level, you're never going to win anything unless you've got a top goalkeeper. And that was, you know, that was sort of encapsulated in Mary Oates' performance on Saturday. It really was, you know, she pinpointed, I think Georgia Stanway said after the game, that's why she's the world's number one. That's why she's she's been named FIFA's best goalkeeper um, because she had very, very little to do sort of across the 90 minutes, really. Uh, we saw, I think it was in the first half, she did that sort of slightly audacious step over when she was getting, uh, she was under plenty of pressure um, inside her own area and she just had sort of the, the wherewithal to to just, you know, casually step over and and make it look easy. Um, but in terms of actual saves, you know, the second half, she she made that one from, from Elsie de Mornay, didn't she, from the edge of the area and then that phenomenal sort of spread, I don't know what, what you'd describe it as, the sort of spread her legs and... and Got it with the, the edge of a heel, didn't she? And it was just, yeah, it was it was an incredible save. And I think it shows the importance of, as a goalkeeper of staying switched on, doesn't it? Because, you know, it would have been so easy for her, I guess, to have been sort of not at 100% focus um, in that game because she did have very little to do. But, she, you know, she obviously wasn't. She was completely on the ball. And, and as you say, I think, you know, all credit to Haiti. If England would have lost to them, there would have been absolute uproar. And I think Mary Epps, you know, denied them of that. And I think especially because the, the back line is, you know, isn't functioning quite as as we would like it to. The, the importance of having, a, of having a world-class goalkeeper behind, you know, is, is even more crucial. So, um, yeah, she was she was excellent on Saturday. Probably the only member of the England team, really. Um, alongside maybe Jess Carter, I thought Chloe Kelly had, a, had an okay game, but the only one of the only England players that could really say that they excelled in that game, I think. Yeah, Megan. What do you what do you think? Do you share the sentiments and with with that one? Yeah, I think Mary Earps had a phenomenal game. Anyone who wants to argue that would would just sort of be trying to be a contrarian to be a contrarian for the heck of it. Like, yeah, she was great, but I think there needs to be the caveat that against a team with a slightly more clinical finishing, with a team that's got a bit more flair and composure in front of in front of goal maybe those 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 saves don't come off. You know, that last one where she had that sort of half split leg splay, I mean, it was great, but the, the, she should have done better. Ultimately, that shot should have been further into the corner. 
And if you're going up against, like Beth had sort of mentioned, a USA, a Germany, a France, players who are very composed in front of goal. You see Sophia Smith for the USA, the way she can finish and the way that she can sort of slot a shot into the very far corner, that's dangerous. And like Mary Earps, I think nine out of 10 times will make that save. But it is that one out of 10 times where you can't just always say, it's fine, Mary Earps is in the back. We've got this. And like, like you said, Beth, I think that's where it's very important to have her, especially when your back line's not functioning. But they cannot just say, it's fine, we've got Mary Earps. Like she's the world number one and she's phenomenal. But against the better sides, you have to start to think like you can't just rely straightly on Mary Earps. But taking that thing away, she was she was great. And yeah, it was phenomenal to watch her. Just on on her performance, continuing with that, um, one of our other writers, Louise, she produced an absolutely incredible piece over the weekend on why Nike should be really watching these games um, where Mary Earps is, is featuring. Because for those of you who don't know, Nike have, have basically said that they're not going to manufacture um, the women's goalkeeper shirt as a replica. And for a company that says that they're representing everybody and it's for all, um, Louise kind of said, you know, they, they kind of need to take a look at their own slogans. And I just want to point that out because it really does emphasise how big women's football is right now. We're in the biggest ever tournament, 32 teams. You know, we if we are seeing, we said it earlier on when we started that nobody should be underestimating the eight teams that are making their debuts at this tournament, let alone the European champions, let alone the world champions. And it begs the question as to why these big companies are still not actually technically representing everybody when goalkeepers around the world like Mary Earps and she's come out and said she's really disappointed, she's angry, she's upset. And the rest of her goalkeeping union is as well at, at this. And I just kind of want to discuss that slightly on what what next, I guess, for these big companies in taking that next step and actually following through with with what they're trying to say. Um, Beth, I'll start with you. Yeah, it is, it is really disappointing, isn't it? And, you know, it's a sort of a twofold insult. You know, one, in terms of women's football, you know, it's from a commercial point of view, it's growing so much. And and now, you know, those those decisions need to be need to be reflective of that. They need to be reflective of the fact that there is a market and there is an appetite for people wanting to to buy these products. Um, and also as a goalkeeper, and I think to be for, more than being a woman, I think that was what insulted Mary Oates was the fact that she felt like it was completely undermining goalkeepers everywhere and, and insinuating that kids don't really want to be goalkeepers. And that is absolutely not true. And I think, you know, any young girl, any young boy watching Mary Earps playing goal, um, you know, it, it, she's she is such an inspiration, isn't she? She's she's so um, first of all so fantastic at what she does, but also is off the pitch as well as a human being. As you know, so many of this this England squad are um, is just exceptional and speaks so eloquently on on so many different different things. Um, so yeah, it's it is really disappointing and and a real you know quite poignant when you hear her say you know she had members of her family wanting to buy buy her shirt and her teammates have, have all got their members of the family with their names on the back of the shirt and she can't no one can do that for her and that is a real real blow so yeah I think it's actually um you know it, it's really disappointing but it's nice to see that this issue has, has been raised and, and has gained so much traction and hopefully it does make the likes of Nike and, and Adidas and any other kit manufacturers out there 
really sit up and take notice and think, well, we're not going to make this this same mistake twice. I think as well, like women's goalkeeping is usually the stick with which women's football is beat with. Like that's always the lightning rod or the reason why people are like, this is the evidence of why women's football isn't up to standard or up to par is the goalkeeping. And now you've got people like Mary Earps and, and really across the board, like the goalkeeping in, in at the World Cup this year, most of it has been pretty impressive. And for Nike to do what they've done, it is sort of, I don't know, it just feels really retrospective and it feels pretty archaic in the way that they're viewing it. Instead of sort of trying to lift up women's goalkeeping, they are sort of keeping it back into that that cliched box. So yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in the way that it was handled. But as you said, Beth, I think that the backlash that they've received has been pretty pretty significant. And you know, companies like that, they notice that and they'll be in the boardrooms and they'll be speaking about what they should do and, and how they should handle it. So I expect them in the next couple of months to to do something. Um, if not, I'm sure the backlash will just get even bigger. Um, and Marips will have to do another phenomenal game and then sort of prove it there. So yeah, maybe we should maybe we should kind of pitch that all of the goalkeepers should, should just take turn across the world in just like penalty shootouts and just prove exactly how incredible they are. Um, but yeah, here's hoping that Nike's also listening. Who knows? Who knows? Um. Okay, we are close to wrapping up. So obviously we've we've gone through quite a lot um, in 25 minutes, which is crazy. Um, obviously England play on Friday against Denmark in their next group game. We are going to be doing a preview of that, so we won't go into too much detail. But I really hope that the England players after a rest day, you know, they've been sightseeing across Sydney already, that they're going to be fit and ready to, to go and give Denmark a, a real run for their money because let's face it the <laughs> Denmark won against China in the other group game so I'm just gonna go over the weekend's results because at the time of recording it's Monday morning and you know we are the complete opposite side of the world so when we're waking up most of the games are finished um so on Saturday um obviously the USA one of the favorites um won 3-0 against Vietnam um Zambia unfortunately did get thrashed a little bit by Japan um, and saw a red card. Um, England, of course, went 1 0 against Haiti in our other group game, Denmark v China, also saw a 1 0 victory for Denmark. Um, just want to quickly go to the Denmark China game before I move on to Sunday's results. Beth, what do you think um, we can expect? Just a really brief overview what we can expect from Denmark yeah I think you know most people going into this tournament would have probably had Denmark as England's toughest group opponent I'm actually not too sure now after watching that Haiti game because you know I watched that Denmark China game I've got to admit it wasn't really a thriller and it was quite disappointing actually I thought from from Denmark's perspective they've got a lot of really talented players a lot of really technical players a lot of them playing in the WSL so um, I think in terms of the the sort of counter-attacking nature of that Haiti game, I don't think we'll see that. I think it will be more sort of play through the middle of the park and that actually might benefit England a little bit more, particularly when they're they're sort of, they're not having to backpedal and the, the defence is, is a little bit in disarray. So I think, it, I actually think it might benefit England, even though, you know, on paper, Denmark are, are a tough opponent and have a lot of quality players that can definitely, definitely hurt England. Um, I do actually think that the, the nature of the game um, and the way that it's played will will maybe suit England a little bit more than, than than that Haiti game. Yeah, and I think the fact that they again Denmark only won one nil, 
against China. And we expected Denmark to be one of our biggest opponents in the group and the toughest ones as well. Shows then China, obviously we say again and again and again, we can't underestimate any of these teams, but for China not to get absolutely thrashed as well. Um, Megan, that's a clear cut sign that, you know, this is going to be a really, really tough group for us in the next couple of games um, going forward. Yeah, I think so. And I think as well, I mean, Denmark could look at England against Haiti and be like, oh, it's not what we expected. And they only won 1-0 and it was nervy. So I think everyone has to sort of take that first game with a pinch of salt and go into the next game, almost treating it as if it were the first game because you really can't take, you can't glean that much from an opener at its major tournament. You just can't. So, you know, we might be saying this about Denmark and Denmark come out and they play a completely different game. They might actually adapt. They might see the way that Haiti played and Australia played against England and say, no, we're actually going to go more full throttle sort of attacking in that sort of direction the way Haiti did. But yeah, I, I to be honest, I I don't know. Um, but as you said, you can't really underestimate anyone at this tournament. And I'm excited for for the next next scalp, to be honest. Yeah, me too. And I think I saw that in Sunday's games. Um, obviously Sweden won two one against South Africa. And I was really rooting for South Africa, to be honest. Obviously, Sweden is another team that has got a good few WSL players in it. And, you know, you would expect those teams with the growth of the WSL last year, you can't underestimate again how they those players can perform on the world stage. So Sweden did get a last minute winner from South Africa and I was so gutted for them that they just didn't at least get one point. Um, the Netherlands is another one that has been a major part of the tournament in previous years. They've, they've been a major player in that. Um, only win one nil against Portugal as well. Um, and France-Jamaica, um, obviously France have only really had their manager in, in play for three months. Would have been a lot less time with the amount of con- contact that he, he's had with, with the actual players. And of course, we saw Bunny Shaw getting sent off. Um, a real, real shame, but I think Jamaica should also be proud of that. Um, really quickly at the time recording, we are about to wrap up. However, it's ended in the Germany-Morocco game. Germany have won 6-0. I think that to end on, um, Beth, is a really clear message that Germany are out to get everybody. <laughs> and let's face it, um, they're there, they're ready, they're, they've got their game faces on. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to say, sort of coming into this tournament, Germany, my my pick for who I think will will probably go all of the way. I I, I think they'll certainly get to the final. Um, I think they're a real, real threat. They've got so much quality. We saw that at the Euros last summer. And um, they've got Alex Pop, one of the most prolific goal scorers in in world football. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's obviously a shame for Morocco, World Cup debutants. You never want to see any team sort of get rolled over. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that is the heaviest defeat that we've seen so far. Um, so yeah, a blow for Morocco and, and a real shame for them. But Germany, obviously, a real, real threat and someone that England will definitely have to to keep their eye on um, as we enter the later stages of the tournament. Those later stages are going to be um, extremely nervy. I think not that the first game for England wasn't nervy. Um, I don't think I had a breath in the entire game that wasn't held for quite a while. Um, that is it for today. Um, 
thank you so much to Beth. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you to everybody watching. And we will be back for a Denmark preview later on in the week. 